All right, so let's roll on into our message today. I'm just continuing a series called Why, Who Am I? Or Why Was I Born? Phew, got that down right. You know, that's a common question that probably every single one of us is asked that question, why was I born? And we want to understand why we were born because maybe then we'll be able to understand what's my purpose in life or what did God create me to do or what's the big plan for my life? So we all have a vested interest in really understanding why were we born and what is, you know, and the, so the big question I want to ask this week, does it really matter how I live my life? Does it matter how I live my life or am I ultimately... God's plans for my life will be accomplished? Or do I have any role to play in how I live my life that's ultimately going to affect the outcome in my life? I want to talk about that today. Does it really matter how I live my life? Some of you probably know one of the most popular Bible verses of all times is Jeremiah 29 11. Probably most of you have heard this. You've probably seen pictures of it. You've probably seen t-shirts. You've seen book tags, you've seen everything. The plan, the, the scriptures, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a hope and a future. We all know this verse and we all like this verse. We take comfort in this verse. But the thing is, I think we have a lot of misunderstanding of this verse. I think most people really don't understand this verse too much. I think one of the, the first problem that we have is we look at this verse and we think, okay, God has a plan for my life, so it's just automatically going to happen. That suddenly, how, suddenly, some way, everything's going to happen. And second, I think we look at this verse and we think, okay, if anything's good going to come out of my life, that means every pain has to leave, that every struggle has to leave, that anything that's related to suffering has to leave in order for me to have any good plans in my life. But see, that's not what God is saying in this verse at all. This is what God was promising to the Israelites 600 years before Christ was born. And, you know, what God is saying in this verse is that you are not going to automatically escape your suffering on earth. You're not going to. Instead, you're going to learn how to thrive in the midst of suffering, that you're going to learn how to thrive in the midst of circumstances going on in your life that you really don't like. And so you might be sitting here thinking, you know, I, I really don't want that. I want all my suffering to be gone because I think that would be a lot better for me. We want our pain gone, our suffering gone. We want any remnant of an addiction gone. We want any, uh, any, any, any part of a, uh, of a struggle. We want that all gone. And we think sometimes everything has to be gone before we can really enjoy life. But see, the reality is most of us are going to struggle with some kind of sin or some kind of temptation or something in our life that we really don't like. Some of us are going to live with that our entire life. But see what God is saying in this verse, you can still have an abundant life. You can have an abundant life in the midst of suffering or hurt or pain or discomfort. So I want to read the verses before Jeremiah 29, 11 and the ones afterwards to help us get a little better idea of what is God really saying in this verse. Because I think once you understand that, you're actually going to find much more comfort in Jeremiah 29, 11. You're going to find a lot more power in that scripture when you really understand what it means in the context. So let's read it together. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look to me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I had sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we do thank you for the scripture. And Father, we do thank you that you can speak to each of us. And we pray, Lord, that the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit would be here, that you'd guide me in this message, and that your word would be explained while I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, last few weeks, you know that kind of a big theme that we're going to have in 2019 is finding freedom. I really believe that God is speaking that to this body, to individuals, but this body as a whole, that 2019 is a year where we're really going to discover more freedom. We're going to really discover more of who God created us to be. So in some ways, I'd say 2019 is a year of really becoming who we are created to be. A lot of us are on this journey to finding freedom, and I believe in 2019 we're going to find even more freedom as we really seek God and really understand what He wants to do in our life. But one of the biggest challenges that we have is believing that we will not live in freedom until all of our problems go away. We kind of think freedom means every problem goes away, but that's really not what the Bible's saying. So I want to talk today a lot about how can we have freedom how can we have confidence? How can we have hope in the midst of our problems and our circumstances? Some of you know that we have a 20-year-old son, Nicholas, who's not with us in church today. There's Nick. And some of you probably never meet Nick because he has severe developmental disabilities. When be a little bit before, after Nick was one, he was diagnosed with autism. But Nick has probably what's referred to as a pervasive developmental disorder. His disability kind of affects every single area of his life. So he's, he's pretty challenged in, his, uh, in, his, uh, in his, his life, and he would not want to be here at all. And it just would not work out well for Nick to be here. So when Nick was diagnosed kind of between one and two years old, we quickly decided, I think believe we were prompted by God, that we were going to do a full intervention, that we were going to do whatever is necessary to reclaim Nicholas. That was so the popular at the time and still is popular today is to do an ABA program, Applied Behavioral Analysis. So we did a behavioral program with Nick. So the, the goal is you spend between 30 and 40 hours a week in aggressive therapy with him. So our home was constantly in and out therapist, speech therapist, OT therapist, psychiatrist, whatever. They would come in our house and they would work with Nick for the most of the day. I mean, he had a 35, 40 hour a week job doing ABA. And now, some of you probably think, well, the poor kid, he didn't get to be a kid. Well, let me tell you, too, Nick doesn't sleep. So only he sleeps about two hours a day, so, you know, really, the kid had a pretty open schedule. So, <laughs> so you know, he had time to play, too. But in all, everything that we did for him was play-based, and there's a lot of research behind what we did for Nick. And so the popular research at that time was if you spend between 35 and 40 hours 
a week doing this kind of therapy with Nick, you had a very high chance of recovering him from all of his challenges. So we were all in because the kid had significant challenges. So we did that for about four years because our goal was that... I wasn't going to cry during this. <laughs> the goal was at age six, Nick would be reclaimed and then all of his challenges would be gone. See, we had the statistics to back up everything that we were doing. And on top of it, we did medical intervention. We got him in touch with the best doctors in the world. In fact, that's why we moved to Florida, so he could go to the best doctors in the world to get all the biomedical treatment. So the kid had the best medical treatment. He had the best behavioral treatment. He had the best psychological service. He has all of this going for him because we are going to reclaim Nick back from autism by the age of six. We had a great plan. We had great expectations, but we had a big problem. Our expectations didn't line up with God's plan. So Nick's sixth birthday came, and he wasn't better. In fact, he was more challenged. His challenges grew as his age grew. His deficits became greater. All that we did for four and a half years, he had nothing to prove for it. Every expectation we had for him, and he's worse off than he was four and a half years ago. Actually, he did make some improvements, but you know, as he got older, it's, his challenges became more severe. And that was hard. That's kind of a pretty difficult situation to be when you have so many expectations and you pray and you fast and you do everything you think is right. And your outcomes have no so far from what you thought possible. So you begin to wonder, does it even really matter? Does my actions have any impact on the outcome? Because look how hard we tried. Look at all we did. And we're behind So when people, good people like to come to you, they don't know what to say to you, and they're looking at your situation and the challenges of your son. So they like to quote Jeremiah 29, 11 to you. For God knows the good plans that he has for you. Some or another, they think that verse is kind of like a blanket. You can just put on a suffering mom, and it's going to make everything go away. And you're sitting there thinking, That's, I don't like that verse. I really don't like it. Because if this is the best he can do, well, that's not good enough for me. See, we wanted our son back. We don't want to have to deal with what we're dealing with. See, the funny thing is, the name Nicholas means overcome. So when we named him, we knew that Nicholas would be an overcomer and that he would help other people overcome. We just didn't have any idea. <laughs> I shall look at you. We just didn't have any idea that Becky and I would be the ones who had to overcome. See, the truth about God is so often 
He allows situations to come into our life, difficulties to come into our life, challenges to come in our life for the divine purpose to teach us how to overcome, to teach us how we can have an abundant life in the midst of things going on in our life that we don't like at all. That doesn't mean we get all excited for them. But we know we can have the confidence that no matter what is going on in our life, that God is able to work through it and through in it. Sometimes it's the most difficult things in our life that can really reveal to us what God can really do for our life. So what do you do when you're in that situation when your expectations are over here and God's plans are over here and there's a gap in between that's huge? How do you reconcile your life? See, the problem is for us is for years, those first six years of Nick's life, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed that God would make him better. And that's a good prayer. I don't regret that at all. I think we, I still pray that day, you know, that God would heal him, God would restore him. I pray that every single day. I don't stop that. See, the problem that we got into was Nick became the center of our life. Our focus was on one little boy in all of his challenges and all of his deficits to get him better. That was the focus of our entire life. But see, the thing is, Nick's problems didn't cause me hopelessness and despair. The problem was, only Jesus is supposed to be the focus of my life. During this process with Nick, my focus came off Christ and was just always on Nick always on Nick getting better. The hopelessness in my life is where I was looking. I wasn't looking to Christ. I was just looking, if Nick got better, then my life was better. If Nick overcame, my life was better. So what do we do with a verse? Like Jeremiah 29, 11, what do we do with that? See, this verse is so different from what a lot of us think. So I want to go through the background and talk about a little bit. Where did this verse come from? See, here's the context of this verse. The Israelites are in punishment. They're in exile. Part of the nations in Assyria and part of the nations in Babylon. And they're there because of their disobedience to God. So God allows Israelites to be taken into captivity See, the truth is, for each of us, every single one of us is in exile in some way. Every single one of us is in captivity in some way. Not so much because of the sin we did in our life, but because of the original sin that came into this world through Adam and Eve. Every single one of us is living in a situation that we don't want to be in. See, we were all created to live in the Garden of Eden. That's where we were supposed to be. We were supposed to be in heaven. But because of sin, we live in a corrupt world, and so we're in this waiting period to finally get into heaven someday. So kind of like the Israelites that are taken into captivity, that's kind of similar to what our life is like. Earth is not to be our home. Our final home is into heaven. So as long as we are alive, we're living in that tension of, I'm not, it doesn't feel right here. We want to move on with our life and to get into heaven. So this is a situation. Israel's divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Part of it's Israel, the other part of Judah. So the Syrians come in, they conquer Israel, take them into captivity. The Syrians tried to capture the tribe of Judah. They weren't successful. So Babylon came in, captured the Israelites living in Judah, demolished the city, 
And then they took all the really smart people and dragged them 700 miles through the desert and brought them to Babylon. They left behind the common people. That's a little justice for some of us who weren't that good in school. <laughs> all the smart people had to be dragged away through the desert for 700 miles. So all you smart people, okay. So they left the common people over here in a ruined city, and the smart ones dragged through the desert. So all the people are in Babylon, and there's a prophet in Babylon by the name of Hananiah, and he's going around town telling everybody, you know what, I know we don't like to be here. This is a little uncomfortable, but you know what, it's only two years. In two years, we're going to be out of here. Okay. They're saying that's what God's saying, just two years. Two years isn't that bad. If you're brought into captivity, okay, I can make it out for two years. And so that's kind of the mentality of all the people, all the smart people, that they're only going to be there for two years. Meanwhile, there's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah who is with all the common people back in the city that's all torn apart and the temple's ruined, all the houses are ruined. And Jeremiah, you might remember, he wrote the book of Lamentations. Basically, it's a book about what it's like to live in a city that's all destroyed. So Jeremiah sends a letter, and we just read that letter a minute ago. He sends a letter to all the captives in Babylon. So all the people in Babylon are like, yay, we're going to let her back from home. We're going to find out what's going on. And they're all excited to hear what's going on. Maybe the temple's rebuilt. Maybe we'll see what our family's doing. So he writes this letter, and he opens up, and he says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he, have, he has exiled in Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. He's like, wait a minute. You just said plan to stay. It's like, Jeremiah, no, 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 no way. Hananiah has been telling all of us, we're out of here in two years, and you're telling us to plan to stay. I don't like that plan. And why would I build a house? I'm going to be leaving in two years. It would be just, you know, it takes a long time to build a house back then. I'm just going to keep on renting. I'm not going to build a house. Then i got to deal with this house. Same thing with plant a garden. Why would I plant a garden or plant a tree for produce when I'm leaving in two years? I'll never really see the full harvest. So then the scripture goes on and it says, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And you're thinking, Jeremiah, you're kind of nuts. Why would we want to raise kids in this place? We're in captivity. We don't like what's going on. We're putting our life on hold. We're not going to do anything until we get out of here. So Jeremiah, just, just, just stop your nonsense. This isn't making any sense at all. And then Jeremiah in verse 7, he goes on and says, And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare would determine your welfare. And you're thinking, now Jeremiah, why would I want to get involved in my city? Why would I want to get involved in my government? I don't even like them. I don't even want to be here. Why would I even support my government? I don't want my government to be prosperous. But see, other translations say, pray for your city to prosper because if your city prospers, you're going to prosper. Let's take a little rabbit trail. I think sometimes we have that approach in our country as well in politics. Let's not take a rabbit trail. So let's just pray for... <laughs> Well, that's a risky business right now. 
You know, I think sometimes we forget to pray for our city to prosper because if it prospers, we prosper. So let's just take a minute. We all know we got major things going on into Washington, D.C. right now. But you know what? God has a plan. I don't care what my plan is versus your plan. God has a plan, and that's what our role as believers in Jesus Christ play that, pray that God's plans happen. So, Father, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, you tell us in your word to pray for the prosperity of our city or our state or our nation, Lord, because if it prospers, we prosper. So, Lord, we come to you, Lord, asking for prosperity for our city and our state and our nation. Father, we pray that you would just hover right over Washington, D.C. right now. And Lord, you know the great divide that's happening in Washington, D.C. But Lord, you have a plan. And Father, we ask that your plan would come to fruition. That Lord, whatever your plan is over this wall, Lord, your will would happen. That is what we want, Lord. Your will, not mine, not anybody else's. We want your will to happen. So, Father, would your will happen in this country this week over that wall that is dividing so many people? Amen. So then we go on Jeremiah 29, verse 8, and it says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and your fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. That's a whole lot different than what Hananiah is saying. Why do I want to believe Jeremiah? Because, you know, I'm 52. I'm probably not going to get out. I am looking at spending the rest of my life in Babylon. I'm not really sure I want to believe Jeremiah because I like Hananiah's word better. That makes me feel better right now. So we all kind of like that. We all like to look for where we want to hear something that's going to just make us feel better. But it's like, that's not true. But 70 years, that's a hard one. How am I going to live here for 70 years? God, why are you telling me I have to be here for 70 years? I don't want to be here. I want to get out of here as soon as possible. So he goes on to say in verse 10, the, the rest of verse 10, he says, but then, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. So God's saying, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, but I'm going to come and do all the good things for you that I promised while you're in Babylon. You don't have to be out of Babylon for God to do all the good things for you. He can do them whatever situation that you're in. And then God takes this promise on the end and says, then, then I will bring you home again. See, all of that's still coming. The goodness while we're in Babylon, but then he's going to bring us home again. See, David said it really well. He said, you know, as long as we're on earth, we're like strangers and aliens. It doesn't feel right. It's not where we want to be. And see, Jeremiah understands that. And saying, it doesn't feel right, but I'm going to do all the good things for you right now. And then I'm still going to even bring you home. I'll bring you to heaven. And then in verse 11, he goes on and he says, this is where the verse comes in context. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope and a future. So he's saying, God, do you mean that in the midst of my pain and my suffering and my discomfort, that you can bring about a good purpose? So that's what God's saying. 
No matter what situation you're in, you can trust me that I know the good plans I have for you. They are good plans for you no matter what situation, no matter what circumstance you're looking at your life, no matter what decision you're making, God says, I have good plans for you through it all. That you are not going to be defeated and that you do not have to get rid of all suffering in your life to have a good life. But God can work on you and the plans for your life can happen no matter what is going on in your life. They can happen. But we have a choice. We have a choice. What choice are we going to make? Are we just going to live a life of complaining and live a life of frustration? Are we going to live a life where we say, God, what was my part to do? See, a lot of the people that listened to Jeremiah actually got mad at him when he gave his prophetic word and they ran off. Some of them even wrote a letter back to Jeremiah just saying, you know, we can see why you're the dumb one that didn't get to leave. But they wrote back and they complained. But see, the, some of the people that stood with Jeremiah knew what they needed to do was they needed to comply with what the Lord was saying. And then Jeremiah goes on in verse 12 and 13 to tell you what you need to do. Jeremiah says to the people, okay, while you're in captivity, while you're in a place you don't want to be, while I'm doing all this good things in your life, you need to pray. And then I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you're going to find me. See, this was big news for the Israelites. They thought, now, how in the world can we pray? Because our temple's been ruined. We're not even in our homeland. You're telling me while we're in captivity, we can still pray and you're going to listen to my prayers? And God's exactly right. See, often we say to ourselves, we say, oh, I just feel like God has abandoned me. I just didn't feel God was around me right now. And I understand that feeling. It's legitimate. But see what Jeremiah is saying, he's with you in that feeling of abandonment when you don't feel like he's around you. But you have to pray. See, in other translations, instead of using the word pray, it says, when you seek me, I will listen to you. That word seek is a very powerful word in the Hebrew language. It means to look for something with a lot of intensity. It kind of gives you the idea of like if you had a small child and you lost them at Disney World on the busiest day of the year and there's 70,000 people there and you're going to find that child. You are not going to give up until you find that child. You're not going to look for 10 minutes and say, well, he's gone. I think my mother did that to me at Meyer when I was a kid. <laughs> that was back in the day she knew I would probably be safe. But you don't give up. That's what Jeremiah is saying. When you're having these hard things happen in your life, don't give up praying. Don't give up. You just continue to seek God, and you seek God, and you seek God, and don't ever give up. See, this is why it matters what we do. We can spend our life complaining, getting bitter like Tom talked about earlier, getting frustrated, or we can use that energy to seek God, to seek what he is saying. And then Jeremiah 29, verse 14, he ends it. He says, I will be found by you. See, when you seek me, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again to your own land. See, that's the promise of God that you just seek him and he's going to find you and that he will restore 
And that's the peace that we have. That he's going to respond to our prayers in the midst of our captivity. See, in Romans 4, verse 9, it's talking about Abraham. And it says, Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. They're like, now how did Abraham get to be counted as righteous because of his faith? Because Abraham had to wait for over 16 years for the promise of God to happen in his life. You might say, well, that's not that big of a deal. He had so much faith because a little later in Romans 4, it says faith is a free gift from God. If it's a free gift, well, why does Abraham get so much credit for being such a guy of great faith? See, he got a lot of credit for being a man of great faith is because he chose, he made a choice to receive the faith that God had given to him to persevere in the midst of the 16-year waiting. That's something each of us have to do is God has given us faith, but we have to say, you know what? I'm going to use that faith. I'm going to use that faith to see God's plans come into my life even though I don't see it happening. See, Genesis 12 begins in verse 1 through 3, and God approaches Abraham. His name's Abram at the time, and Abram's pretty much a nobody. We really don't know that much about him. And the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The Lord speaks that to Abram during one night during a vision. And Abram got up in the morning. He's probably like how all of us would be like, yeah, this is exciting. I'm all in. Probably wondering if it's going to happen today, maybe tomorrow, maybe give it a whole week. And then the next verses go on and it says Abram obeyed the Lord and he actually got his family together and departed exactly what God had told him to do. He was completely obedient to God. And then we pick it up in, in, in chapter 13. God approaches him again and he says, I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they can't be counted. And Abraham's probably thinking, thou, oh, this is great. I'm excited, God. But when are you going to do it? I've been waiting for a while. This is nice and everything. You want to do all these good things in my life, but I've been waiting and it hasn't happened yet. I'm in my late 70s, early 80s, and my wife hasn't had a baby yet, and you promised us one. And you're thinking I'm in my early 80s. I don't even know if I want a baby anymore. <laughs> I've waited so long. So then we get to Genesis 15, and God comes back to Abraham and says, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. And probably at this time, Abram's probably thinking, Yeah. It's been 16 years since you told me I was going to be great. It's been 16 years, and you told me I'm going to have descendants like the Sands that it cannot even be counted. It's been 16 years. I'm tired of waiting. I really don't believe it's going to happen anymore. I'm in my early 80s. I don't even know if it's possible to happen anymore, and I don't even know if I want a baby anymore. But I've waited, and I've waited, and I've waited, and I'm pretty discouraged right now. Because my expectations are not lining up at all with your plans. So look what Abram does. In verse 2, Abraham goes before the Lord and he says, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant of, of my household, will inherit all my wealth. 
you've given me no descendants of my own, so no one, so one of my servants will be my heir. See, Abram goes before the Lord, and is he complaining? Yeah, he's complaining. He's frustrated. I've waited 16 years, and I don't even have a son to pass on inheritance to. And God, what's interesting, Abram talks about Eleazar is going to receive everything. The word Eleazar means God helped. So Abram's saying, but God, you helped him. You helped Eleazar, but you didn't help me. So what Abram does is he takes all of his complaining, all of his frustration, he pours it out to God in this prayer. He complains to God. He compares himself to other people. He does all of that stuff. And does that make God mad? No. God replied to him and God answered to him because Abram does exactly what Jeremiah instructs us to do. When you're frustrated in that situation, when you're not getting what you expected, you just need to come to me and you just need to pour it out in prayer. And that's exactly what Abram did here. He poured out his heart before God and God responds in verse 15 and it's or verse 5. And it says, And then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many of your descendants you would have. See, that's how the Lord responded to Abram. He took him outside. See, one minute Abram's in his tent all alone praying. And the next minute the Lord takes him outside and says, Look up. See, sometimes our circumstances are not going to change at all, but our perspective is going to change. And that's what happens a lot in prayer. Your circumstances might not change, but your perspective is going to change. And suddenly Abram goes from one situation of staring at his problem, staring at the fact that he has no kids, no heirs, no descendants, nothing, and God is helping everybody else, but he's not helping me. And God takes him outside. It doesn't say he walked outside. It says God takes him supernaturally. God got him outside and said, look at the stars. And what happens when you start looking at the stars? Suddenly your perspective changes. Because suddenly the God who you think cannot fulfill a promise to give you a son, suddenly you have to look up at the stars and say, well, he figured out how to create those. I guess he can take care of that as well. Suddenly your perspective changes from, you know, it's not all about me. It's about this bigger picture of eternity. That the God who created all the stars and somehow or another says, but this is, you're still going to have descendants. Somehow or another, he's going to accomplish that no matter what situation that I'm in. See, Abram's story is all about having confidence in God that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what the circumstances are in your life, God has a way to figure it out and to make happen the good plans that he has planned for you, to make happen the wonderful plans that he has to happen in your life. That is what Abraham why he was a man of great faith, because he was willing to persevere to the end, to say, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know if he can put those stars in the sky, he can take care of everything else. If this is the God who is able to save me, who's able to rescue me, to give me a relationship with Jesus Christ, if he can do that, then he certainly can pull me out of any situation in my life, that he can give me hope no matter what the situation is. that everything doesn't have to go perfect in my life for God's plans to happen. 
that all the suffering doesn't need to be gone for me to enjoy an abundant life. That's what Abraham shows us. And Abraham's descendants went on. And they were numbered like the stars in the sand. It happened. It really happened. But it's a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson to remember that our best growth often comes through persevering through trials, not escaping them. But oh, we want to escape them, but God is saying no. The best things that are going to happen for you are through trials. So what hard things are you going through in 2019? What kind of challenges are you facing? What difficulties are you facing right now where you feel like your expectations are over here and God's plans are over here and there's a gap in the middle? What are you struggling with this year? What obstacles do you have that cause you to just to go in your tent and just focus on whatever issue you have? And what areas of your life do you need God to take you outside and to give you a new perspective? See, that's part of finding freedom in 2019 is the confidence to know that a new perspective can be all the freedom that we really need. That everything doesn't have to change for us to have freedom. Plus, my prayer in 2019, we just can cling to the hope of Jeremiah 29, 11, that no matter what situation we're in, that God is with us and we can pray and he's going to find us. And again, he's going to give us the faith to come before him in prayer and the faith to believe that he can make a way for us to get from our expectations to his plan. Let's join me in prayer while the worship team comes up to finish. Father, we thank you that you are a good and faithful God, that you are a loving God and a compassionate God. We thank you, Lord, for the good plans that you have for every person here. And Lord, I know that many of us here are struggling in a situation where we feel like, God, I'm discouraged and I'm pretty frustrated right now. And God, I'm here today out of obligation. I'm not here because I love you and I'm excited for the good plans that you have for my life. If we're just being really true, there's probably some of you here today that are just like, I'm tired. I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of hoping. Father, I thank you that you are faithful to find that person when they seek you, Lord, and that you're faithful to give us new perspectives. So Father, I pray that you'd move with the power of your Holy Spirit through this room to give each person here a new perspective over a situation that they're facing. Or a situation that they're looking at right now that looks like a big mountain. And they're wondering, God, I can't see through it. I can't see above it. I can't see around it. But God, I thank you that you can give us a new perspective. So Lord, we pray for that today. Lord, I pray for anybody here today that's just feeling hopeless, Lord, that you would give them a renewed hope. And Lord, I specifically pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord, that they do not have the confidence that they would spend eternity with you, that you'd minister to that person and show them the way that they can have a relationship with you, and that they have the confidence that you accomplish good things in their life now, and that they can be, look forward to a future in heaven. Father, we thank you for this time today. And I pray that you bless this last song, Lord, as we uh, reflect.
on what you've done in our life and what you're doing in our life. Lord, I pray that you'd minister to each person here, Lord, as we sing this song and that you'd speak to each person in Jesus' name. Amen.